come and minister. God, we love you this morning. Thank you, Jesus, again for your goodness and grace and blessings upon us. Great is thy faithfulness. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. God bless Brother Miller. Praise the Lord, everyone. God is an awesome God. I am so glad to be in the house of God and to be amongst the people of God. And uh, good to see everyone here. You can sit down if you're not seated already. Always good to be in the presence of people that don't mind serving our God. Amen. Praise God. I am excited for what God is doing and what he's going to continue to do. Excited about having the marshes here and and, uh, and friends of ours as well. And so uh, excited for what God is going to do in the service today, having the marshes here. So we are here in our discipleship class. Oh, if that clock is correct, I got a few extra minutes. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so we've been talking about the overall uh, topic or the subject is the power of Christian witnessing. Um, and so we've been talking about a series of different things. Every now and then I like to do a review and ask people if they, what they've gotten out of the lessons. The whole intent is, and if you come here, we discuss all these things. If you come on Wednesday nights, you hear the messages in the morning, you take the word with you. Oh, so it was quiet. You take the word with you. Amen. David said, thy word have I hid in mine heart. This past week I was talking, we was doing a Bible study on the base, and that's one of the things I told him. I said, you know what? The word Bible means Biblia. And that is the plant that they used, papyrus reed was the plant that they used, and they would press it and strip it until you can actually write something on it, and that's how they writ that's how they wrote the scrolls. I said, But guess what? As you read the word and you get into the word, you become the papyrus reed. So as you take in the word of God, it's being inscribed on you. Amen? So you become the word. So that's what's supposed to happen. Amen? And the word of God will transform your life. It will change you. So many folks are trying to change their own lives. They're trying to do it within their own abilities and power. And we cannot None of us in here have that ability to change our own. If we did, we wouldn't need God in the first place. But thank God for what he did and what he provided so that we can be here today and have this privilege. Amen. Amen. We just finished singing the song. It's all in him. I wish we could have sung that a little bit longer. I would have give up those two minutes for that. Because it's all in him. Every answer, every solution to every problem it's all in him. Whatever you seeking for, it's all in him. Amen. We said it Friday night, the search should be over. Amen. It's all in him. 
So wherever you are in your walk, wherever you are in your life, just remember it's all in him. He did not require you to do it on your own. All you got to do is just give it over to him and he'll work it out. So we've been talking about power of Christian witnessing. And uh, we've been talking about how to become an effective Christian witness. So some of the things that we talked about um, over the last week, we talked about, um, I can't remember the subject that I used, but uh, what's that? Temples of God. Thank you. Right? So just along the lines of what, what I've been saying just a few seconds ago, your body should be housing the Spirit of God. The Bible says ye are temples. You're the temple of God, right? You're not your own. You belong to who? Okay. You're bought with the price. So, and also what we talked about Everything that you fill your heart with becomes the center of what you worship. Whatever you fill your heart with, that becomes the center of what you worship. So we have to watch what we fill our hearts with, right? So, James chapter 1, and we're going to go to verse... There's be a couple of verses that we're going to read in there. We're going to go to verse 3. We'll start up with verse 3. And we'll work our way through here. There'll be a couple of verses that we get from here. But starting with verse 3. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. You know what that means to me? When your faith is tried, you learn how to wait. Why? Because you're operating in faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of the things not seen. We walk by faith and not by sight, right? And like I told you before, faith is God giving us the ability to peer into life from an eternal perspective. To say it exists even though I cannot see it. I believe it's already there. And when you're operating in faith, you don't have to worry. You don't have to fret, right? Psalm 37 says, fret not thyself because of evildoers. And all throughout Psalms, it tells you, don't worry. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I don't have to worry. Psalm 23, y'all know the famous passages in there, you know, all throughout Psalms. David is encouraging. Yeah, there was some times he was crying out for help, but there was a lot of the verses that he was encouraging and saying, you don't have to worry. David learned it. So when your faith is tried, it works patience. You learn how to wait on God because you already believe that it exists, even though you can't see it. So whether that's physical healing, 
whether that's deliverance for, from something, whether that's salvation, whether it's something that you are praying for, a need that you have, or maybe it's for somebody else that you know that you're praying for. Whatever the situation is, you learn how to wait on God and you're believing it's already done. That's faith. Amen. The trying of your faith worketh patience. But I want to focus on that word trying. Trials. Ultimately, there are two types of challenges we all encounter in our lifetime. The first type of challenge is known as temptation. Temptation appeals to the flesh and is presented by the devil. His intent is to destroy our souls. John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus says what? The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Look at what he says. To steal and to kill and to destroy. The first thing that he's going to do is he's going to rob you. He wants to rob you of what God has given you. Because what God gives you is your means of defense against the enemy. So in order for him to kill you, he has to get you to give up what God has given you to fight against him. Make you vulnerable. When you give it up, he can't just come and take it. But when you give it up, you become vulnerable. You have no means of defense. And as a result, you open yourself up for him to come and to kill. He comes in, he, he kills your relationship with God. Whatever connection you might have had, he comes in and he kills that connection. So now you have no means of survival. And ultimately, his intent is to destroy your soul. Here is what's interesting about the whole thing. Do you not know that the enemy, you are not his main target? In all his efforts to destroy the lives of people, the creation that God has brought into existence, his real target, if you look in the scripture, you look in Isaiah, it tells you, What he wants all along is the glory of God. He wants to be like God. You happen to be in his way. Woo! Think about that. Man, just enough for to cause a lot of ruckus in hell to destroy your life because you're in the way of his agenda. That's powerful, y'all. That means that he understands and recognizes that you were created for a purpose. This is why he throws things your way, because he's threatened by what God wants to do through you. This is why we always encourage folks, step up. Get engaged in the work of God. 
Because the enemy is threatened by what God wants to do through each of you. This is why I always mention, it don't have to be just a pastor doing the work of the ministry. This is why I brought out the ministry is more than just preaching. The ministry is more than just what's behind the platform and the podium. Man, if that was it, we'd be hurting. Because we got a whole world of people out there that ain't in church. Who's reaching them? Oh, that's where the ministry really engages when you walk out those doors. Walk on your job. That's where ministry is really, that's where you engage in the ministry, in your neighborhood. We're going to talk a little bit about that in the next week. But that's what it's about. So we got to be engaged because the enemy knows. You sit idle long enough, you're no threat to him. Because you're not accomplishing anything. But last time I checked, the Bible says we are lively stones. Amen. Life has progress to it. You know, time keeps going, whether you with it or not. None of us want to grow old. All of us are young in here. (laughs) Amen. Time is ticking. (laughs) The reason why he wants to destroy us is because he hates God. That's really all it boils down to is he hates God. Therefore, he hates the things that reflect God's image. If we can go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. I always like to go back to the beginning. That's about as basic as you get. God, in the process of bringing everything into existence, you find... In verse 26, after he saw everything else that he created, he created the grass and the trees and the birds and the beasts and all the things that he created, stars, the heavens, light. He says in verse 26, uh, let us make man in our image. Don't be confused and don't take it out of context. There was not a meeting of three parties up there. He was speaking. His will, his word, it all rests with him. Anybody ever talk to them says, let me see. What can we do about this? Who are you talking to? Right? So imagine this is what God is doing. Let's let's make let us make man in our image. After our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over the, all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So look at verse twenty seven, in case you were confused, what it says, so who? God. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. See, 
Now, you got to think about this. It don't use the titles, but who is God? He's Jesus, right? Is God not the Father? Is God not the Son? Is God not the Holy Ghost? So it's all one, right? We just finished. Okay, all right. I just want to make sure we on the... So God created man in his own image. That's exclusive. So just in case you weren't tracking, I like the fact that they put verse 27 in there just to bring some clarity. He created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Uh-oh. Male and female created he them. Don't worry. I'm not going down that rabbit trail. Not today. But understand that this is bringing some clarity. We were created by God in the image of God for the purpose of God. You're not your own. So everything we should reflect is God. By virtue of how he created us, the enemy can't stand us. Not because we're somebody great, but because of who we're supposed to reflect. Now, that is why in verse, uh, when we look in chapter 3 and we find out what he started doing with Eve, look at what happens. The serpent was smart. He was intelligent. I'm glad that serpents don't talk today. But back in this time, apparently there was one that talked. Adam and Eve didn't know any different because they were the first two humans. So, <laughs> But look at what the serpent does. He approaches Eve and he begins to dialogue with her. One of the things I always share with people when we're talking about the enemy and what happens, understand this. The worst mistake you can do is to engage in conversation with the enemy. The only thing you should be doing is rebuking him, and you rebuke him with the word of God. If you think for a second you can outsmart the enemy, you have just lost the battle. On your own, if you think you can outsmart the enemy, how long do you think he's been around? How many things do you think he's tried? How many souls do you think he's claimed? Deceiving. Right? Oh, and by the way, he knows the word of God too. Now, if I, I said it before, I said it again. If he had the audacity to try to use scripture on Jesus, knowing who Jesus was, what makes you think he ain't going to use it on you? Right? So the enemy can transform, the Bible lets us know, himself. I said it before, I say it again. And I'm not knocking angels. I believe that, obviously, you know, I believe in angels. But I also believe there's fallen angels too. Y'all remember that prophet that we, we talked about before, and it's unfortunate. Man of God goes and delivers a message, right, to the king and... Let's him know what what he's supposed to say, but God gave him the command. Don't you stay there. Don't you don't don't stop and eat. 
No, I don't want to go to Perkins. I'm on my way. Got another stop to go to. He's on his way, and there's another prophet. Hears about what's going on. His sons came and said, man, you should have been there. Man, it was, it was awesome, man. This man of God came out of nowhere, shared, shared the word, and then, you know, he, he bounced. Prophet says, <laughs> he left. <laughs> if he was like me back in the day, the word bounce only meant one thing. That was had to do with checks. But, uh... <clears throat> But anyhow, he left. So the prophet sent his two sons says, listen, go get, go get him. Tell him to come back. And then the prophet decides to go meet up with him. And uh, he's talking to the man of God. The prophet, the man of God says, hey, God told me not to stop. You know, he told me to just deliver the message, do what I'm supposed to do and go back. What did the prophet tell him? Well, the angel told me. Now, I don't make light of it because I know there's a lot of people that don't really understand. And it's unfortunate. But you get some folks who, you know, they have that supernatural experience. And they don't understand what's going on. And, well, I heard from an angel. That's great. But let's figure out if that's an angel of God or if that's. Because there is not one angel, there's not one being that trumps the word of God. We've heard it before, but if God gives you a word, right? He tells you, he gives you specific instructions. If he's going to change his word, guess what he's going to do? He's going to let you know. It's so important to, to, to remember that because you gotta you gotta think about who you're entertaining. You gotta think about who you're entertaining. That's why it's so important when you hear the word of God, I don't care who it is in your life, but when you hear the word of God, it is your responsibility to go back and search the scriptures. Because at any point in time, either one of us could be in error. But if you fail to go back and search the scripture for yourself, guess what? You have neglected to fulfill your responsibility. And God will hold you accountable for that. You got to go back and search the scripture so you understand, you have an understanding what's going on, what's happening. You ever meet some people on the street and some people, you know, I've heard winos, drunk quoting scriptures and trying to tell you trying to preach to you and you better watch out sometimes they might be telling the truth look at what happened with the man of god so he went back right what happened they sitting there eating he's like oh man it's good and then fellowship was abruptly ended because the false prophet is now prophesying under the influence of God, telling him what his judgment is going to be because he didn't listen to God. 
Yes, we've all heard it before. If God can use a donkey. He deceives, he tricks, he robs. His intent is to destroy. And this is what he did with Eve. He engaged in a conversation with her and allowed her. Or Now, notice he didn't force her. There's no scripture that says he forced her to do anything, but he coerced her. Now, it's amazing to me because. You know, even to classify it as deception, Eve knew what the command was. In order for you to be deceived, there must be some level of ignorance. But she knew what God said. She told the serpent. Look at how he posed the question. I always like to look at that when I read this. He posed the question. He says, hey. Did God say you should not eat from the trees of the garden? Let's just generalize it. And what does she, how does she respond? No, we can eat from the trees of the garden, but from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, we can't eat from. Neither shall we touch it lest we die. So there was a test of knowledge right there. So now she responded right. Serpent goes on the dialogue and she continues to engage in conversation. And as a result, we find she looks at it. She dwells on it. And then she makes her decision. Can I tell you something? This thing called sin is a willful thing. The enemy came along and convinced the first two human beings to compromise and disobey God's law. He introduced confusion and coerced man to embrace the pollution of sin. Sin is simply defined as the act of rejecting God. No one, no one wants to look at it that way, but that is the essence of what it is. That's what sin is, rejecting God. Because everything that is righteous represents or reflects Right. Satan was never granted the power or the authority to force anyone to commit sin. Every act of sin can only be committed by a willful transgressor. Just like you come to that stoplight, you know that light is red, but you in a hurry. Run that red light. You have just willfully transgressed the law of the land the traffic laws right okay let's talk about another one we all put our head down for this one but when you're driving down the highway when you see those white signs that have numbers on it say speed limit i didn't it must have been the fine print on the sign Cause I've heard that before that it's suggested, but I don't think the cops agree. <laughs> and you see that sign says 55, 65. Actually, just in the past couple of years, 
they did us a favor and bumped the speed limit up by five miles per hour. Used to be 65, now it's 70. That's still not enough. I laugh. Look, and then I, there's a sign that says, slower traffic, keep to the right. Now, if I'm going the speed limit, I'm going 70. That means I don't have to get to the right. (laughs) But that's a law. So technically... One speed, you know, most of the cops won't stop you for this about between four or uh, between five and ten or something like that, somewhere around there. Anything over is five or five and over somewhere around there is when they start, you know, stopping you. (laughs) I guess that's where the unwritten rule is a suggested speed limit. But it's the law nonetheless. They put a speed limit there because that's the law. That's what they deemed, right? So when you go above that speed limit, are you not breaking the law? Do you? And this is something for me. Like I, I think about stuff like this. So when I'm driving down the highway, I think to myself, man, you know what? I need to plan better so I don't have to speed. Because if I'm going to be a light... I'm a Christian, and then, you know, I got all these traffic citations. Really? I mean, you know, and it sounds funny, brothers and sisters, but this is the reality. Listen, the world is trying to find everything they can depend on Christians as it is. Why should we give them a reason? These are things I think about in my own life. Because it's important. You know, especially if I'm up here and, you know, I, I said this, talk to my wife in conversations and stuff, things I look at in my life, I start examining my life. If I'm teaching it, I want to be it. I'm not looking for a spotlight. I'm just as fine sitting in the pew and listening to somebody else. Trust me. But I'm willing to do whatever it is that God is calling me to do in that. That means I have to live up to something. It's not the prestige of just coming up and just, you know, flashy and just so y'all can look at me. Like my nice suit. Like my nice shoes. Like how I speak. Really. It's not about me. But it's about bringing what we talked about. Reflecting who? So somebody needs to bring that term back because, I mean, I know everybody made, made light of it, but what would Jesus do? We probably should put that on our license plate and scribe it on our cars. What would Jesus do? So when you're rolling down the street and you're going over the speed limit, somebody will say, is that what Jesus would do? But in essence, that's what's happening. You reflect Christ. So is that what Jesus would do? I know. I'm sorry, y'all. I, I hit the speed limit, but 
That was just one instance of life. And that's just what I look at in my life. I'm not telling you to go to speed limit. I'm just telling you there's a law. That's all. Amen. But, you know, that's what sin is, a transgression of God's law. That's just how serious it is. Let's go to verse 13 of James chapter 1. Y'all all right? Y'all know I love y'all. I'm in the same boat y'all are. We all trying to make it to heaven. James chapter 1, excuse me, verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. You'll see that, right? All right, let's go on to verse 14. Excuse me. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. But it doesn't stop there. See, some folks, you know, you're trying to, you're going to be, as long as you're in this flesh, there's going to be temptation. God doesn't hold you accountable for the things that are presented to you. If the enemy is presenting things to you, that's not on you. What's on you is this next part we start talking about and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Well, in order for something to be conceived, it has to be accepted. It has to be embraced. So for those of you who have been to science class, you know, you learn about biology. You learn that, you know, when the egg is fertilized for the female, you know, that means that the egg has accepted that seed, embraced it. And now it becomes a life form. It develops, reduces life to it. So when lust hath conceived, when you have embraced that into your heart, it bringeth forth sin. It's going to produce sin. Guarantee you, you start desiring after things, you start dwelling on things. It's one thing when you, you know, you present it with it and you just kind of, well, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. Nope, I'm not going to do that. Resist the devil, he will. Some folks are running from the devil. That's not what he said. He said, resist the devil. In fact, I believe in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, stand. Don't sit down. Don't tuck tail, run and hide. You're supposed to stand. You resist the devil, and he's supposed to run away from you, Right? When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. We know the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So, why are we tempted? Our own lust. It's the lust of the flesh. The Bible says all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the Pride of life. So this is why and the Bible tells you that the flesh is not going to inherit the kingdom of God. God is not interested in his corrupted corpse here. But it's our soul that he's trying to save. 
and it's our soul we keep in the spirit of God. He says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, right? So this is how we abstain from sin because sin is produced when you are tempted. You are tempted because of the weakness of this flesh. The flesh lusteth against the spirit. It, want, it wants nothing to do with what the spirit wants to do. That's why it's so hard to get up in the morning and get on the knees and pray. That's why it's so hard to turn the plate down and fast, abstain from food. Sometimes it's necessary. It's not just to starve yourself. If you fasting just for a diet, that's not the right way to go. Health professionals will tell you that. That's the wrong way to diet. They tell you the opposite. But fasting is an opportunity for you to break away from all the other things that you're normally around to engage with God. It's a one-on-one encounter with him without any other distractions. That's really the essence of what fasting is. That's the purpose. So if you've got a lot of distractions going on and you're trying to fast, you're probably defeating the purpose. You want to take an opportunity that you know you're going to be available to God and to him alone. That's the essence. That's the purpose of fasting. Amen. Those things are necessary. Ultimately, temptation is designed to accomplish one goal, and that is destruction. Now, the second type of challenge comes in the form of a test. A test is generally designed to measure knowledge, skills, and abilities. In many cases, the appropriate tools and information required for the test is provided in advance. So in the world of academia, a student is presented with educational resources by a certified teacher. The most effective way for members of the academic staff to measure a student's knowledge, skills, and abilities in a particular subject is to administer a test. A test is not designed itself, in and of itself to pass or fail a person. Did you know that? That test was not designed for you to fail or pass. It's just a test. It's a tool of measurement to see where you are. Now, that's, you know, in our academic world. The results are determined by how well a person prepares for the test. So we know they always told us in school, if you didn't study, chances are you're going to fail. You could try to cheat. That's not the best route to go. And like I always tell my children, I said, at the end of the day, they're trying to see, the school has put this in place to try to see how effective the teaching method is and then how well you're receiving the information. How well you're retaining it. Do you understand? A lot of times I talk to my children and say, okay, so you got the right answer. Do you understand, though, the material that's on there? If you just guessed at everything, then you're wasting time in the class because you're not really learning. And if you're not learning, the way the school system is designed is that you go from one grade to another, and as you continue to go to the higher grades... You start to see some of the same things, but it's a little bit more complicated. Anybody seen math? Remember math? Remember one block, two block? One plus two is three blocks. Remember you used to be excited about doing addition? 
Maybe some of y'all. <laughs> Subtraction. Then you thought you were really doing something when you got multiplication and division. Then when you started seeing that algebra, what is this? X. That is not a number. 4X minus Y. How you... What's the value of X and Y? Let's see. X is the 20... Let's see. The 23rd letter, 26 letters. So 26 minus... This how I... <laughs> when I first was introduced to algebra, I thought it was just count the letters. <laughs> but it gets more challenging as you go to each level. You start getting a calculus and trigonometry and all those other trees. You know, it just becomes a lot more complicated. But if you haven't learned the basics... You're not going to get the concept of what? Parentheses around what? Exponent? To what power? Find the root of what? Integers? What are you talking about? I just know my one's place. (laughs) Fractions and decimals. English languages, you know, same thing. You learn basic words, right? Cat, dog. Run. Anybody ever remember that story? See Spot Run? (laughs) Spot was doing a lot of running. But you learn those things, right? Then you start seeing words like metamorphosis, transformational, geometrical, symmetrical, topographical. You start looking at all these other cool words. You're like, what? But if you didn't learn the basic words, you didn't learn that it was just conjunctions. We just adding on to the words that already existed. Oh, somebody, somebody going back to Schoolhouse Rock. All right, so. But you learn these things, you know, and as each grade, at each grade you learn different things and you, it just compounds, right? Well, it's the same way spiritually. God doesn't allow us to be overwhelmed. You, did you realize that when he talks about he'll, he won't allow you to be tempted above what you're able to bear? Notice, you know, he won't allow you. In other words, he won't allow things to come your way that you cannot handle. That's what's so awesome about God. Look at what he did, and you look at the story of Job, because we always like to refer to Job. That's just one of the books that's in there that really just spells out a lot of the stuff that he was dealing with in his tenure. You know, the, the, the health issues he was having, his loss, I mean, losing all his possessions in one day, and then his wife is having a little challenge being faithful and, you know, stuff. But, you know, he's going through this, and then his friends come along and, you know, They start trying to accuse him of sinning, and that's why he's in the condition that he's in. But nonetheless, he remained faithful. Notice what it said in the beginning. God testifies. This is an awesome thing, man. I always think about it. Man, if God is testifying, say, have you considered my... What if he said your name? What would God be saying about you? Have you considered my my servant, Brother Wayne? 
you probably won't call you brother, but have you considered my servant, Brother Richard? Have you considered my servant, Sister So-and-so? They're upright. They're faithful. You know what? I'm recommending this one. Because I know that they can handle what you're about to bring their way. I already know what you're about to do. But they're equipped to stand. Man, that's awesome. For God to say that about you, that's a resume. You want to talk about a reference? I'm putting Jesus Christ on there. Call him. And hopefully we've been, I've been living right, so he'll tell you. I've been doing right. That's the intent. But that's what happened. And everything that he went through, he remained faithful to God. That's what the Bible, the biblical account says. He didn't charge God foolishly, right? Still remained faithful. But he was prepared. Notice what it said he was doing. He was praying already. He was storing up. And that's what we have to do at every level, wherever we are in our relationship with God. You can't look at other people. Stop comparing yourself to somebody else. That's the worst mistake you can do. You start comparing yourself to other people, and next thing you know, you get disheartened, you get discouraged, and then you find yourself falling away. Because you feel like, but you're measuring yourself to the wrong source. Everybody's got a different walk as far as their experience. But one thing's for sure, whatever God intends for you is going to be accomplished as long as you follow his plan and his will. It's going to happen. Don't expect to know it all at once. He's not going to reveal every detail right away. But he'll let you know. He'll reassure you. Look in his word. There's so many promises, all these precious promises, right? So many promises. Guess what? It's all for us. So you can claim those regardless of what it looks like now, regardless of where you stand right now. You can claim those promises. Instead of allowing the enemy to rob you of what God is making available to you. If he sends a test your way, he's going to prepare you for that test in advance. And then he allows the test to come your way because he says, you know what? I'm confident that my child can get through that. They'll overcome. They'll overcome. They'll be all right. I gave them what they need. They got my spirit working in them. They're able to overcome. They got power. That's why he says what? Acts 1 and 8, right? You shall receive power after that the holy ghost has come upon you this is a very very important thing god is the only one who can administer the tests of life to us he's the only one before he administers the test he always provides the necessary tools and resources needed to successfully pass the test it is up to each and every one of us to pay attention apply his instructions 
and to prepare ourselves before the test comes. It is not God's desire to see us fail. Instead, he desires for everyone to pass the test and be successful. The tests administered by God are designed to measure our faith. The trying of your faith. Hebrews 12 and 2. Read these passages of scripture and I'll just wrap it up here. Hebrews 12, chapter 2. Looking unto Jesus, who was the author and the finisher of our faith. You know why he did what he did? Faith. And it starts with him. And it ends with him. So he's the only one qualified to test our faith. Because it all starts with him. He is the source of that faith. Just like that teacher in that classroom, that's the qualified individual to administer that test. Not the students, but the teacher. In our case, Jesus Christ is the only one that is certified to be able to test our faith he knows what we can handle because he equips us with what we need romans 12 and 3 for i say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think soberly according as god hath dealt see that You thought you made it on your own, but it was God all along. God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. He gives it to you. How does he give it to you? Romans 10 to 17. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing Think about this, brothers and sisters. Just take this thought with you. If his word was powerful enough to bring everything you see around you into existence, life is sustained because he spoke it. You not realize that all the events that have happened, whether it was astronomical or whether it was because it was culture, Everything that transpired, all the attempts to try to rid of man and rid of different civilizations, so on and so forth, do you not realize it's only because God set it in place that we still exist today? It's only because of God setting it in place that the globe continues to spin on its axis, and it's only because of God that we have the opportunity to benefit from salvation. He spoke it. It happened. So take this thought with you. It doesn't matter what situation you're in, and it doesn't doesn't matter where you are, and it doesn't matter all the lies of the enemy. Don't you let go of the word of God. Heaven and earth shall pass away. My word will not pass away. Understand that if God said it, that settles it. If God said it, it's already done. Power of God's word. We'll continue on next week. We got to take a break. 
and get ready for a dynamic service. In Jesus' name, God bless you. I love you, but God loves you most.